0: Welcome to Rise Together. My name's Dave Hollis, I'm the host of this show where we're gonna hopefully have you feeling a little more normal in this, the human experience. Maybe see yourself even in some of the stories that are told or have your appreciation of what it means to be human expanded by someone who's come on as a guest, who's had a different life experience. In all of it, we are trying our best in community to learn from each other, to grow, and maybe even have a little bit more compassion for what it's like to walk in each other's shoes. When we do, we all rise together. Hello, Rise Together listeners, Dave here. Hope you're having a great day, getting ready for Halloween and all the festivities around it. exciting times here at the Hollis House. You're getting a solo episode today, by the way. I'm just a couple of days away (laughs) from the most uh, exciting and terrified I think I've been in some time, having uh, thrown a very big goal out in competing on a stage, uh, this thing called a physique competition. I'm sure that I will do a longer podcast or write something about it at some point. Uh, It is Such a wild thing. The amount that I have learned about myself, the uh, things that have popped up in this, so many uh, things in my own life that I think I have faced (laughs) throughout my life, uh, among them underestimating how much time, how much discipline, how much work uh, achieving a big goal might be. Thank you, universe, for teaching me this lesson. But uh, man, it has been quite a thing for the last four or five months being on a plan and working with someone who's helping me get to stage, uh, but maybe even more than that, the kind of discipline that has been required to feel good about myself in me really being the only person who knows how much work I'm putting in and uh, how consistent and disciplined I have been in the workouts, in the nutritional pieces, all of it. It's been quite a thing. I'm excited to uh, get up on that stage, also mildly terrified that my calendar actually has a schedule for me to get tanned uh, tomorrow. Evening is a very bizarre thing that I have to shave my body prior to that tanning. Even more bizarre. But uh, here we are, uh, looking forward to that. Halloween is on Monday, Uh, hoping that you have uh, some exciting plans. We are at this house, um, still in that cool age, uh, where two of the kiddos are very, very excited about trick-or-treating with parents, Uh, Noah and Ford will uh, go out with Rachel and I uh, and do some trick-or-treating in a neighborhood not far from the house. Looking forward to that. The older boys, they go off and uh, do the things that teen kids do, uh, hopefully not getting into trouble. I don't know what I'm going to dress up as. Ford Hollis is going to be Charlie of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory fame, and Noah is dressing as someone from Encanto. And uh, I'm excited to see those costumes. They, I'm sure, will look great. I thought I would do a show today about some of the uh, work that I have been doing in my own desire to transition somewhat from uh, a more public-facing professional life to a more private-facing one. I, you know, it's been a year. Holy cow! But uh, a part of. The work that I've been trying to do on myself to understand why I do the things I do and what's good for me or not good for me, uh, whether it was in treatment or otherwise, so much uh, of what being at all in the public uh, has kind of brought to light is that, man, there are components of being even as like small and semi-public as uh, my persona might be that uh, isn't great for me. And so I wanted to find ways, hey, How can I get back in touch with things that I have some competency in that light me up that might be of good or service to others that uh, might create some fulfillment, help me provide for my family, but not require as much uh, out-in-front, public-facing time? And so, I don't know, Half midpoint of this year, halfway through this year, I decided to try And test a little bit this idea that maybe taking some of my experiences in my former corporate life, my experiences in working as an entrepreneur at the time with Ray and building something with the Hollis Company, uh, was there the possibility that I might be able to take some of what I experienced or learned in my time, be it at Disney or before that in PR or before that in research, before that in, in talent management, and bring it to bear in helping people who are operating small businesses or operating nonprofits, find ways through a plateau that they might've hit or a puzzle that they're trying to solve. There's this great book that uh, I would recommend to anyone who has a small business called Rocket Fuel. Rocket Fuel's uh, most basic thesis is that any successful business needs to have two people or two kinds of people for it to be successful. You gotta have a dreamer, you gotta have someone who can cast the vision, someone who can see the future, someone who's like got all the passion and excitement for painting with their imagination, the vision for where this business is going, and you've gotta have an integrator. You've gotta have an operator who can get into the practical blocking and tackling of how you take that dream and make it a reality. And in my past, I have had plenty of jobs where I was successful in helping the integrating process with a visionary, with someone who was casting a vision for where they wanted the business to go, whether it was a a filmmaker back in the studio days or whether it was talent who was describing, you know, kind of who or how they'd hoped to become or whether it was inside of the small business that we were trying to make a bigger business. Um, I was primarily paired with someone who was doing more of the vision casting and was trying to find the blocking, the tackling, that puzzle piece that was missing. And I started small <laughs> because I wanted I wanted to make sure it was something that I actually wanted to freaking do. Um, but also I wanted to make sure that just because it sounded like something that would be fulfilling for me, um, that I could actually do a decent job at it. And so back in... I don't know, April, May, June, somewhere in that window. I thought I'd start with just an outreach to a few of the nonprofit organizations that I'd historically been supportive of to see if they may in fact have any kind of need for someone with integrating powers (laughs) and uh, offered uh, to do some work on a pro bono basis just to like, you know, kind of test how might I approach for-profit clients in the future what kind of rhythms might we meet? What kind of materials might we use to try and draw what's working and not in the business? Where are the roadblocks? How do we get through those things? And very quickly, you know, as it turns out, when you offer your work for free <laughs> uh, and you have a heart for the kind of work that they're doing, uh, people are very willing to take you up on your offer to uh, attempt to assist solving the problems in, in their attempts to do good in this world. And so I had three different organizations that uh, I was able to step into and do some work with as it pertained to longer term planning, right? Like here's where your business is, or your nonprofit is today. Here's who it serves. Uh, where are there roadblocks? What is it right now that keeps the vision that you're casting for where you want this organization to go from actually getting there? And is there the possibility that I could come in with a bit of a questionnaire, a bit of a framework, a bit of a way of sitting alongside, whether it be your board or your team and engaging with somewhat of an outsider's perspective? But some of the experience that came in my annual five-year planning exercises at Disney or some of how we planned the business at the Hollis Co and challenged them to think in a little bit of a different way, such that we might find some kind of a breakthrough, some kind of an opportunity, some gap that needs filling. And man, the experience was so fulfilling for me, um, one because yeah, I was sitting with people whose work I love and respect and who in us successfully filling gaps or solving problems, more people might be helped. Um, But it also as a proof of concept kind of thing gave way to, okay, I think I'll give this a go. I'm going to see if I can't on a for-profit basis take on a handful of clients to attempt to help them as well. Um, This is not this is not a long ad for you should hire me to be a business consultant. I <laughs> I have three for-profit clients and two uh, pro bono clients right now, and five is full. But the bottom line is I am really enjoying the work. And I just, I was on a, I was on a call today with a client and I was running through the answers that they had supplied to the original intake questionnaire that I provided them a few months back, just in an attempt to kind of revisit the work that we have done and make sure that the work we're doing is still in line with what we suggested we wanted to do. And I thought, huh, I bet there's a small business owner out there. I bet there's an entrepreneur out there. I bet there's someone who's got a hobby and they're thinking, man, it'd be cool to turn this into an actual business that might find interesting the kind of questions that I'm asking the people that I'm trying to partner with so that it maybe is a resource for you. And maybe uh, you're not a small business owner and you're like, Dave, this is not not interesting at all. That's not exciting. And I uh, apologize to you, but I hope that this finds the audience that it is intended for, the person who's uh, running up against stock who finds themselves the visionary, doesn't yet have the integrator, and uh, would be happy to have some questions that they can pose to their business so that maybe they can find a breakthrough and take it to the next level. So the first question, uh, uh, before I even get to the first question, I'll tell you what's interesting. There's a couple of different reasons why people find themselves stuck or interested in the first place. One is that, yep, they've grown, 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 and then plateaued. And they haven't been able to continue growing. And they're interested in someone to just kind of shake the cage a little bit to see if there isn't another way to think about their business or their nonprofit, so that they can continue that trajectory of growth. But actually, more of the people that I've had conversations with in these last five months are coming because they're operating a successful business, and they're really unhappy. They're, they're like, I thought I was going to be happy when I hit this threshold of revenue or I thought I was gonna be happy when I had this many you know units sold. And I am more miserable today in success than I was when I was just starting out and trying to figure things out. And I would love to just like have some conversation around how to find peace or fulfillment or happiness in reorganizing and reconsidering how tasks are handled inside the business. So whether you're at a plateau and you're stuck or if you find yourself crushing but not happy, um, these are the kinds of questions that I would pose to you where we sitting in a conversation about onboarding and how to think about creating a plan for the future. So the first question that I ask is a very simple, like inside of a category of, I would call it, what is the business? How do you define and measure success at your company, at your hobby, at your venture, at this thing that you're doing? How do you define and measure success? And what's interesting is a lot of times the answers come back and they are a little more on the vague side. Uh, You know, like success is me being happy, Success is um, not having to worry as much as I do. And while, man, peace of mind is absolutely going to be one of the things that we'd hope for in output of putting together a great plan, uh, defining and measuring success at the company in some ways also has to get specific. And so I'll tend to push back on, okay, if you are in a business of impact, and if you have a business, I'd argue that any business can be a business where it impacts people in a positive way, at least I hope it does. Um, You could focus on the number of people that you're impacting. You could focus on the number of dollars that you're generating. You could focus on um, a host of things, but actually defining what success is measured as in addition to the state of mind that you'd hope to achieve is important because part of building the plan comes down to also attaching key performance indicators and forecasts that allow you to measure and track your success as you go. The second question that I ask is, why did you start the business? Like trying to bring somebody back to, well at a minimum understanding the origin story, but like also what was it that lit up your heart that had you decide of all the things that you could do with your time and your energy and your money and your sanity at times, why did you start the business? Right? What was the reason you started it? And is the way that you're running it now or the why that you're running it now different? So I think understanding why things have changed or how they've changed is really important. Because if you are someone who started a business for one reason, now you find yourself somewhat dissatisfied. And you can see that there is a, there's some dissonance between why you started it and why it now operates. Um, that might, in fact, be the gap to attack right? How, how do you see the business evolving in the future from its original state, right? Just because you started it for a reason doesn't mean it can't change. But part of why I ask this question is if you have a plan that's in place for the original idea and you hope that the business will change, well, then you got to have a different plan because that that reason for starting, it is now different, which means that the plan to get you there has to be different as well. The third question is: What is the killer value proposition of the company? Right in any business, I argue that condensing what your business does and why your business exists needs to be something that can get be put into a single sentence. Right when we were at the Hollis Co, the single sentence was: "Giving people the tools and experiences to have a better life." but like whatever that single sentence is, you'd hope that it actually describes what every person who interacts with the company should expect to have delivered in kind of a mission statement kind of way. And the hope is that once you've nailed what that is, that it ties in some way either to the reason why you started it, the vision that you have for where you'd hope it to go, and at a minimum that it's a green light filter for continuing existing parts of the business or a green light filter for onboarding new businesses, right? You have to ask the question, does this existing part of the business pass the test of actually falling into what you've described as the killer value proposition of the company? Does this new thing that you want to add to your business fall into the description? Does it pass the test? And if it doesn't, you have to ask, is this something that you should be adding to the company or is this something that you should continue working on in the company or do you have to change what your killer value proposition is? Okay. The next question I ask is all about audience. What market segment does this business serve? Right. Really getting into some understanding around audience composition, Right. the male, female, the age breaks, the income breaks. Race, religion, any kind of affiliation politically, whether there's hot spots in the US that, you know, there's more people who are buying things or less people. If you're a global business, any kind of international versus domestic split, and some notion of how the audience has changed over time. What's interesting, I have a, a client that I was working with last month and He was describing his vision for what he thinks the business can be and was talking about a product that he was hoping could have application for people just coming out of college as much as application for people, retirement to end of life. And when I kept kind of like working through that part of the conversation I asked, you know, kind of, well, what's motivating this desire to create something for everyone instead of attempting to create something that's specifically for someone? And there isn't a right or wrong answer, but I think sometimes businesses can fall into the trap of trying to be all things to all people when there are, in fact, opportunities to be a very specific thing for a very specific person. And we ended up landing at, hey, I, you know, like it it could actually be a benefit from a marketing perspective, from a positioning perspective, to really isolate who you're trying to be for, who your product is for, in part because you happen to also be of a certain age. There's some relatability in the origin story that you as a business operator can bring to bear and why this product not only has worked in your life, but other people that have gone through life the way that you've gone through it. But there's uh, an idea, I want to say Russell Brunson was the first person that really talked to me about it, but like the idea of being a category captain or a category king, finding a way to position yourself as the best solution for a slimmer percent or a slimmer demographic of the audience, rather than trying to be everything for everyone. Now, guess what? if if you are able lucky enough i'm not sure that it's lucky to become amazon <laughs> and you truly can serve every second segment of the mark- market and every age break of the market and you know, okay but if you're just starting out when it comes to your positioning when it comes to your marketing when it comes to your targeting when it comes to ad spending having a very focused laser focused right a sh- kind of like it's the it's the Bullet approach versus the shotgun approach, right? If you can, if you could just focus on a single segment of the audience, have a very clear message as to what that killer value proposition is for that segment. Now you can focus your energies on that segment and ultimately position yourself as the thing that they need relative to other options in the market. Like I said, there isn't a one size fits all, but I do think it's really interesting at the beginning of a conversation to have a clear understanding of who your audience is, how they break down in all those different demos and how they've changed over time. The next question is uh, one that I tend to ask around where the audiences come from, right? So in a business, you've accumulated relationships with customers over the course of time, but understanding where they've come can be instructive in how you can best serve them with whatever kind of products you ultimately have to offer. So some may have come through social media, some may have come through YouTube, some may have come through a blog, some may have come through books, some may have come through events, whatever it ends up being, understanding in some capacity where they've come from gives you information on what they like, may give you some information on their ability to spend at a certain level, may give you some indication on where they are in the value chain. If you offer a variety of different services or products at different price points or different experience levels. Um, so understanding that is a, is a, a place that we start. Um, in businesses where there are both direct consumer and corporate offerings, I'd like to understand what part of the business comes from direct to consumer and what part of the business comes from a retail front or a, or a corporate front. And the question that you follow up with, oh, okay, does serving one versus the other return more or less revenue? Is there a better time return, like from a yield perspective with your employees? Do you get a better return when you serve people directly or when you go through a third party broker, whether it's a store, whether it's direct sales with a B2B kind of inside salesperson? Um. And does serving one versus the other fulfill you more? Right? Like, just because you might be able to get a better yield for the company, as the person who also is interested in peace of mind and, you know, in some ways, sanity, <laughs> um, understanding if the effort it takes to create value for your company is just completely energy draining or if it's absolutely increasing your interest in jumping out of bed in the morning because man you get to charge towards it that's an important thing to understand when you're talking about your audience understanding how much business comes from your best guests your your key buyers what percent of your business comes from the top 10 percent of the people that transact with you And I'm going to guess, if you are in any kind of a transactional business, that there are, in fact, a small percentage of people that do a disproportionate amount of the business inside of the company that you're running because of loyalty, because of brand affinity, because they like your service, and they come back with some frequency that has them spending more time and spending more money with your business. And the follow-up question there is, how do you track that? How do you measure that? Do you have a CRM kind of advice, a customer man, a relationship management tool or some kind of software suite that lets you keep tabs on the people that are interacting with you on a regular basis, such that you might serve them really well or thank them when they spend a certain amount of time or money interacting with your business? What does customer service look like inside your corporation or inside of your business? Right? like How are you making sure that if there's an issue with your company or business, that you're actually able to take care of that need on a timely matter if they have an issue, whether it's uh, you know a refund or a question about another product or whatever it might be, um, that there isn't you know any more than say 24 to 48 hours going by before somebody on your team is reaching out. The next question is all about what you offer, right? What are the products and services that you make available to your customers? I tend to look at making a plan built on pillars, right? Like individual segments of the business that you have to separate and make sure that they operate as profitable standalone businesses that have key performance indicators against each that like those indicators tell you, hey, financially, this is healthy. Effort-wise, it's a good use of time. Impact-wise, it's making a difference with people. Sustainability-wise, we could do this forever, and it's not going to destroy my soul. Joy-wise, it makes me happy to work on this business. Right? When we were working at the Hollis Co., we had seven big generators of revenue in podcasts, live events, speaking, coaching, film TV, publishing, consumer products. And those businesses had to be able to operate as standalone businesses. So when we would make a plan... We'd make a plan for podcasts. All right, we're going to create this network. It's going to have these shows. We had to create a plan for live events. All right, we're going to do these rise events and these business events. And the way that we're going to do these events on their own had to be a standalone, profitable, sustainable business that was additive to the mission of the company and that by itself was going to return time invested, that it was sustainable, that there was joy associated with it, all the rest. So whatever your business is, right? It's a single business, but I'm going to argue that most businesses are made up of individual components. I mentioned at the top, right? Disney, it was, there's the studio business, there's the parks business, there's the consumer products business, on and on and on. And each of those businesses, they have, to, they have to operate as standalone businesses. The same is true for you. Then we dive into the financials. And this is interesting because as much as I'm having conversations with people that are running financially really stable businesses, their, their ability to or their comfort with which they have a handle on every single bit of the financials is intermittent. Um, I think financials for any business operator can be scary, right? Like you need to know what's happening inside of your business, but it can also be overwhelming. They're also without real clarity on what's happening financially inside your business, is the guarantee of anxiety when it comes to hiring a new employee or anything when it when it comes to expenses. So really understanding the splits of revenue expenses and profits, right? That's where it starts understanding what are the key drivers for each, how do expenses as a percent of re- revenue trend over time, right? Like if your revenue is going up by X, but your uh, expenses are going up by X times two, um, you're going to run into trouble when your expenses eclipse your revenue and now you have an unprofitable business. I'm looking at my back patio and there is a fox literally walking up to the back window. This has nothing to do With this conversation, but I have not one time in my life seen a fox in my backyard. Sorry, revenue, expenses, profit, right? How do the expenses as a percent of revenue trend over time? How's overhead as a percent of revenue or profit changed over time? How's marketing spend as a percent of revenue or profit changed over time? Like all of these things are important indicators of the health and wellness of your business. And understanding how they trend over time gives you this ability to project cash flow, to understand how you have capital to invest or not in people or in technology or a whole host of things. So then I'll ask, how do you measure financials by segment or pillar of the business? You know, a lot of times people will have a budget for the company, but actually creating individual budgets for the individual segments of the business is something that, Um, I think is super, super important, but isn't always necessarily a thing that has already been done. There are times when you can feel great about the profitability of your business, only to come to realize that one part of the business is doing the lion's share of the lifting on the profit, and it's covering up the sins of a part of the business that's uh, underwater, where the expenses are exceeding the revenue, where there's poor or negative yield, and actually doing the budget by segment ends up being super important. So you can get clarity on which of these businesses is standalone sustainable, and which of these businesses might you have to shut down, or fundamentally reskin, either in reducing expenses or adding some key resources to try and generate additional revenue. Um, I like to understand how business leaders participate in the budgeting process for the area of the business that they operate inside of and if any of their compensation is connected to segment performance, right? So like if you work inside of, I'll give you the Disney example, right? So like if you're working inside of the theatrical business and you are responsible for selling movies into theaters, if you're successful in that area, do you participate in any way compensation-wise for that success? And the answer in, back in the Disney day was yes. Are you, because of being a leader inside of that business, a participant in the budgeting process? The answer is yes, right? I, I want to understand how in the weeds, in the details, but also skin in game are the people on the team so that as I'm sitting with them and challenging them with ideas, I have some handle on contextually where they're coming into it. Are there any key performance indicators for the company that are strictly financial. How are you measuring success? I mean, I kind of hit at the beginning with what is the company and how you measure success. But as you're pulling the team together and sitting around the table in a monthly conference room, are you talking about something out of a dashboard or off of a financial single sheet of paper that is showing, hey, here we are. It's October 27th. At this point in the year, we thought we would be at uh, 81, and we're trending currently to be at uh, 84. So, congrats—we're you know three percent ahead of forecast, or uh, you know we're below forecast, and that's you know a thing that we have to now try and create a plan to try and course correct. I like to understand how do you plan the business, right? If I'm going to sit with someone and suggest that uh, I'd like to help them plan the business, I want to understand first how they plan the business, right? Do you have a CFO? Are you planning on a cash basis or accrual basis? Do you have annual plans? Do you work off of a fiscal calendar? Are there project-specific budgets? Or is this something that you uh, are doing on the back of a napkin uh, just before the new year as you're thinking about what you'd hope the next year to look like, right? Is there reporting on the financials of the business? What's the frequency of that reporting? Do you have dashboards? And, and the thing is, this isn't like, oh, if you don't have this, you're a bad business operator. If you don't have this, I'm gonna judge you or make you feel shame for not having yet had it. But if we're gonna try and create a solution to the areas of the business where things are stuck, we first have to have a lot of uh, transparency and clarity into what's working and not with the numbers. And if there isn't reporting of financials or there isn't frequency of any kind of reporting, well, let's start with some pretty basic reporting. Let's just, at a minimum, pull together something that shows the trailing 12 months or 24 months worth of business to understand where we're starting from. Next, we get into people. Who's on the team? How many people are there? Are the trends of how many people you've had on the team things that have changed over time? The number of people assigned by segment or pillar of the business, has that changed over time? Understanding how that team is incentivized, right? Are they salaried employees? Are there bonuses? Do they get a a discretionary bonus or are they getting a percent of revenue that they drive in? Understanding how resources are appropriately aligned for an opportunity or misaligned, right? When you're a small business, a lot of times you tend to end up having what I'd call like the Swiss army knife, like the the utility player. Instead of having a first baseman, you just have an infielder (laughs) that uh, fortunately can kind of play any role. And then as your business starts to grow, you realize, oh, we need to have some specialized person resources that actually understand a very unique discipline that would help move this business forward. And so understanding a little bit of how resources are currently aligned or misaligned for the opportunity is a big step in gap analysis and trying to put together a plan for growth in the future. Understanding how uh, a business approaches a new hire is an important thing, right? Are you uh, just using your network of friends, advertising on social, recruiting top talent with a recruiter of some kind? How do you onboard people and how is all of this as a mix contributing to longevity and churn? Like, are you keeping people after they've come on? How long after they've been there do they leave? What are their reasons for leaving? Which leads to the next question, which is about culture, right? How is the team culture? Have you identified the core values of that culture, right? And then as you've identified them, how do you bring those cultural values to life inside of the business, Right. And that can be simple things like how do you approach reward and recognition? But like if you say you stand for, you know, everyone has a seat at the table or something like that, you know, are you actively recruiting a diverse slate? Are you making sure that there, are, you know, are people that are representative of all people sitting around your boardroom, etc.? How effective and efficient is the team? Sometimes when we're Running a business, we're looking at the bottom line without getting into some of the intricacies around the individual contribution of team players and how yield per person ends up being a factor to consider. But, you know, do you look at profitability on a per head basis? How do you use third party support? Right? Like, it's not just about understanding who's on the team, but also who supports the team. So it's, you know, who are your contractors, whether it's copy or marketing or financial services, tech platforms that you might be tapped into, understanding the level of satisfaction that they have with the services that are provided, but then also understanding when the terms of the deals with these third-party contractors were last negotiated. It's fun to be able to try and dream how you can scale revenue going up, but sometimes growing a business is also about controlling SGNA and and bringing expenses down. And so if deals weren't negotiated recently, what does it mean to renegotiate some deals? Could you maybe get a better deal with another competitor of, you know, someone who provides a commoditized shared service? Who are your competitors? The next question is all about competition, right? Understanding it not from like a, oh, I want to compare myself and my business to this business per se, but understanding how, Their value proposition and your value proposition, their killer app and your killer app are similar and different, right? Some of it's going to play into marketing, right? You're trying to position yourself as the service, the product that people would be crazy to not buy. And as you have some sense of other people in the market offering something similar, knowing how they're positioning themselves feels like a relevant and important thing. Um, But maybe more important is understanding what your unfair advantage in the marketplace is. Like, how would you position your product and service as the thing that relative to any competition is uncomparable? It's just the thing that people have to have. You provide better quality. You provide better service. You're more responsive with your customer service, whatever it ends up being. But, you know, declaring this is my unfair advantage and then backing it up with the way that you organize the team and the way that you provide service to your customer, the way that you provide quality in the product that you deliver to the customer, that's a thing. How do you market and sell your product to the customers or grow your audience, right? How do you market? How do you sell? Diving into a conversation around marketing is the next big thing. It's a Big thing, and it's you know in a world where marketing is so different today than it was two years ago, than it was five years ago, than it certainly was ten and fifteen years ago. Um, you know, making sure that there's a real understanding of hey, is it paid or organic marketing that you're doing? Is it digital or some other form? Is it professionally shot pictures or using iPhone stuff? How much spend have you uh, deployed against marketing over time, and how are you measuring a return on the money that you're spending in marketing? Right, uh, it's, a, it's a big old mix. Um, one of the things I also love, love to understand is, is the marketing pe- person on your team a generalist or a specialist, right? Like is he more the creative or is he more the tactician? Is he someone or she someone that um, really kind of understands messaging and the kind of like the cool like delivery of the cell? Or someone who loves to dive into A-B testing and measure the analytics of what copy read best, uh, of what image sold better, of what, uh, you know, ad that was running in, you know, the pre-roll of some YouTube video uh, was most effective. How are you bringing in new audiences? I mean, yeah, it's, you know, going to be about marketing, whether it's paid or, or organic, uh, but are you using affiliates? Are you using lead gen? Are you using word of mouth, ambassadors? You know, like there's so many different ways that you can bring audiences in. And yes, marketing in like it's quote unquote traditional terms is of course gonna be one of them, but you can also leverage other people to help bring people, you know, in, at least in, into them knowing that you exist and, and what you offer to them. What's the progression through the value chain? How are you taking someone through the value chain, um, the experience that they have when they interact with your product or your service, right? You tend to have something that is free or low priced as an entry point and move them on through the value chain as they see services that are more valuable to them that satisfy or serve a need that they might have right so your your base level of the value chain might be social media it might be a newsletter it might be some kind of a free challenge or a free trial or a free, right and then it might go up to something like a book or uh, a podcast <laughs> or uh, you know a low priced entry point option That gives them a sense of what it is that you as a business provide, the kind of value that you provide, and then ultimately, um, you know, might introduce them to other things that you offer, right? If you go to a hotel, your entry level value chain proposition is the, you know, room that has two queen size beds with no view. Um, but the value chain that they're trying to drive you through is, hey, by the way, we got one with a king. We got one with a king with a view. We got one with a king with a view near the ocean. We've got a suite. We've got a suite with an extra room. Like, there's a whole host of things that they ultimately will try and offer, entice for you in the hopes that you have a need that they can meet at a higher price point. But most likely, they're gonna reach out to you with the lowest priced option in the value chain and drive you into something higher priced as you have an appetite and a need that they can serve. All right, so all those questions were all about the, what is the business? The next part is really about your feelings around the business, because I think there is this like dance that you have to do in trying to both satisfy the integrator showing up to help operationalize the visionary's vision, but also like you gotta love it enough or at least not feel like it's going to take you under on most days and so understanding a little bit of the lifestyle goals that you have or the peace need that you have or your want for sanity or time with your kids or any of those other things it's important okay so feelings about the business what part of the business do you like working on the most When do you feel most aligned, most filled with joy, connected most to peace, energized to be the best version of yourself, to your kids, to your partner? Like what part of the business kind of brings the best out of you? And what part of the business taps best into your unique set of gifts and experiences, right? All of us have unique gifts, unique experiences, and any business operator, the more they can stay connected to those unique things, the more successful they're going to be the opposite side of that coin what parts of the business create the most pain the most anxiety the most hate if you never had to fill in the blank again what wouldn't you do what are the primary sources of your pain or your anxiety inside of this business and of course you're asking these questions because as you're trying to build a plan you want to try and problem solve around the places where there's pain You know, hopefully avoiding them or at a minimum finding someone else to do some of the stuff that creates pain or create processes and systems that will eliminate those sources of anxiety so that they don't uh, interrupt your pursuit of growing this business in the future. Are there any parts of this business where you feel like you don't yet have the skills or people to deliver quality? Are there any parts of this business where you feel underqualified or an imposter? Are there any parts of this business you've hit a ceiling and need to think of a new way to keep it going? Are there any parts of this business where there's no clear sense of why you're still including it in the portfolio of what you're offering? Right, like Part of the beauty of like tapping into someone to come in and look at things from the outside is I don't think when we're running the business that we often have the time to even ask these questions. I'm like, I got to get the stuff that is due tomorrow done today. I can't pause and ask, should we keep doing this? (laughs) And so understanding these questions, because of the intentional deliberate pause of asking them, gives you the chance to actually get rid of something that isn't serving you or the business any longer, or allows you to find a resource to come in and help you figure out um, offloading, you know, hey, I'm going to find a third-party contractor. I'm going to find a way to uh, to unload this thing that is stressful and creates anxiety um, to someone else who might be able to do it more effectively and efficiently and certainly might keep me sane, which leads to what are the things that only you can do, right? Like if you're a small business owner, if you're the visionary in particular, there are some very important visionary things that you have to stay connected to one because it just like keeps your heart on fire and alive but two because there are a whole host of resources that can do the things that everyone can do and there are uh, there's only you that can do the things that only you can do so like really understanding like what percent of your time each week is focused on the tasks that are connected to the things that only you can do How do you, as a visionary, participate in a creative review or a financial review or a team culture build that should have you as the architect of the vision bringing people toward that North Star as the conductor, right? And if you're like bogged down in the the weeds of the minutia, the, the boring, the distracting, I'm not saying it doesn't need to get done. I think the question is, is there a process? Is there a third-party contracted resource? Is there someone else on the team that it could be delegated to that might afford you the ability to stay connected to the stuff that only you can do, right? Are there things in running the business that others could do but have not yet been delegated, which, you know, like it just begs the question, you know, of the person that I'm sitting across from or you as the person who's listening, are you a micromanager or a macromanager of key leaders, are you, you know, someone who like really has to be in on every single Zoom call? Like, do you need to be or do you just like kind of tend to be because that's the way that you ultimately are wired for, as more of a micromanager? How do, you, how do you meet with your people, right? What frequency and format do those meetings take place? And are they meetings for the sake of meetings? Or are they meetings that are extracting value and are a good use of time for everyone involved? How is your input, both the quality and the quantity of it, impacted by the, your proximity to your team or your location? Half the people that I'm working with right now, well, I guess 40% of the people I'm working right, with right now, they have offices where people are meeting. So right, two of, <laughs> two of the five that I'm working with have offices where people are meeting. Three of the five have virtual teams. They're meeting through Zoom. They've got people across the country. How, how is that working? Is it, I mean, you know, Some of it you just can't control, but if there are things that could be made better by a quarterly get-together or a regional approach or whatever it might be, something you need to know. And then we finish with forward-looking. And on the forward-looking side, this is where you're asking the visionary to restate the vision. Where do you see the company in one, in five, in 10 years? Is this a company that you are building to ultimately exit and sell? Or are there parts of the business that you'd be open to having exit and sell at a certain point? Or is this something that you're gonna keep for the rest of time, pass on to your kids, right? What would need to exist today that doesn't to make the 10-year vision real? right, so it could be people, capital, acquisition, technology, property, What of the things that are needed feel the hardest or give you the most anxiety? Bringing on new people gives almost every business owner anxiety because there's cost associated, right? Like getting a real handle on financials is the quickest alleviator for that anxiety because now you understand, oh, here's how much we're working with and here's what the cost would be and here's the kind of return we need to get and you can measure it over time to see if it's a good or bad investment, but um, thinking about that five years from now or 10 years from now vision and making a very specific, specific list of what would need to be true today or what doesn't exist today to make it a reality. It doesn't mean that you're gonna flip the switch on all of it in real time, but it does allow you in a five-year planning kind of a window, identify where in year one or year three or year four, you might have levers that you're pulling to allow the possibility for that vision to come to pass by the fifth year or by the 10th year, where is the biggest opportunity for growth? Is it in marketing? Are there other audience segments that you could tap into? Are there parts of the business that haven't fully been leveraged or engaged yet because you don't have the right people in place, the right marketing message in place, the right product in place? Or is there a new market that you could jump into if you had the right resources to actually reach that market with the right message. What part of the existing business do you want to focus on first and most? All right, like Inevitably, this question session leads to another in-person meeting, leads to another in-person meeting, where ultimately there is a recommended, hey, here are the things that you could attack first, second, third, fourth, fifth, but understanding from them What gets them most excited to try and work on is instructive for someone who's going to try as an integrator to come back with a plan and an approach on how to do it. What opportunities inside the business do you want to focus on most and first? What opportunities outside the existing business do you want to focus on most and first? And I ask them, hey, I want you to force rank it, right? Lay it out in priority order so that on a time map, we can drive efficiency and team focus while minimizing customer confusion. Especially if in a business that's you know creating products, making sure that you're staggering your launches, making sure there's clarity on when you're offering what you're offering to who uh, is super, super important. What are the things that you currently do as a business that we should not do moving forward? Right? We call it a red, light, green exercise or a, a go stop, hold exercise, you know, whatever you want to call it, understanding that. Hey, every revenue source should have a yet a red, a yellow, or green assessment to determine if it fits the future of the business. Is the segment growing? Is it profitable? Is it returning money for time or energy that's being invested? Is it a source of pain or joy? Is it driving lifetime value or moving people up the value chain? right? I, I'm, I'm interested in trying to do that on an, a very, very low level inside of, each of the businesses, right? I do it, I, would, I, I try to do it on a product level. Does this product, as a part of this segment, as a part of this business, is it as a thing something that we should continue to work on that we should stop or that we should change? And then the last question I ask is just uh, about a give back component. It's not so much about the future, but I've decided to actually only really work with people who are attempting to do good on this planet with the work that they are doing. But you know, as a part of that... I'm hoping that there's some component that ultimately gives back to the people that they are trying to serve. So it could be scholarships, it could be donations, um but something that uh, is either charitable or or trying to help those that might not be able to have uh, kind of access to the product or service that's being offered without some kind of help. So that's the tee up. That is the uh, that initial conversation that uh, I'm having with people that I'm trying to support as an integrator to them, the visionary, trying to figure out their business. Uh, I know that was a lot of questions. I feel like I was talking a little bit fast because I get really, really geeked out, excited about this stuff. But that uh, feels like a good sign that I get geeked out and excited about this means uh, I'm onto something for me that I'm gonna keep on being on. I'm gonna keep tugging on this thread. So I hope that that was helpful um, I mean, I mentioned in the middle of the show, I'm not, this was not meant to be some like long advertisement for hiring me to be a business consultant. I'm really only going to try to keep three or four for-profit companies uh, on a roster at a time and two, maybe three non-profit companies on the roster at a time. And um, that roster, she's full right now. If you have, or you're just dying anyway, and you want to shoot over uh, a note to be considered to be thrown on a waiting list. Rad. Uh, there's an email for this show. It's Dave at MrDaveHollis.com. You are welcome to send it or frankly anything uh, regarding this show. Be it uh, a recommendation for an upcoming guest, a topic you'd like to have covered, or literally anything else. I hope this was helpful. I, I'm, my hope is honestly that there's just a handful of people that were like, man, I didn't know that this was the thing I was looking for today. I have some cool ways of thinking about asking questions about my own business that uh, I didn't have to pay some stinking third-party consultant for. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. Well, then, uh, this episode was for you. All right. I hope you guys have a great day. I hope you have a fantastic Halloween. Uh, I hope you're excited about the Tea Time book. Here's Two Dreams is coming out on November 8th. Noah and I are certainly excited about it. Uh, between now and next week's episode, have yourself a great weekend. Have yourself a great day. Appreciate you being here. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Hey, y'all. While I am taking a hiatus from social media, I'd still love to stay connected to you on the regular If you head over to MrDaveHollis.com, I have an opportunity for us to become one-way pen pals. Yep, I'm gonna be sending out regular updates, uh, stories, uh, observations, hopefully things that will also make you laugh or think. uh, And I'd love to be able to do that on the reg. So if you uh, are so inclined, hit MrDaveHollis.com, drop in your email and buckle on up. I love you all. Thank you for all the continued support. Let's go.